Hey, Emily. Greetings, Greg. I was a regular Joan Rivers, Ryan Seacrest last night, working the red carpet at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Who are you wearing? wearing? (laughs) (laughs) What were you wearing? I was I was wearing uh my um oh, well my Indochino jacket for one <laughs> of course uh and then also uh, a tie of some sort but I wanted to tell a quick story so Ken Danico as you know is a long-standing member of the New Jersey Devils one of the better defensive defensemen in recent memory uh, now works with the team uh, I've known him for years he he and I worked the Vancouver Olympics together with Carissa Thompson for Yahoo. And uh, at no point during that run did he learn my name. He would just refer to me as Puck on the air after Puck Daddy. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I think the uh, gold medal games would be really exciting. I completely agree with you, Puck. Um, and then over the years, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. So I say this with all the love of my heart. So at the Hockey Hall of Fame, the way it works is that you go down the red carpet and then you go down an escalator uh, to like a food court area where there's like a reception. Um, or you keep walking forward to go to where the seats are for the Hall of Fame ceremony. So go down the escalator to like a food court, and then you come back up the escalator and circle around to the red carpet, or walk straight ahead to your seat for the Hockey Hall of Fame ceremony where Ken Danico is going to sit and watch his good friend Martin Brodeur get inducted. Mm-hmm. Again, I love Kenny, but this man walked to the red carpet no less than six times. The media assembled on the side of the red carpet were observing. Now, typically what would happen is a guy would walk in with his ticket and his date, just shake some hands, do some media, and then be off on his way. Go mingle with the rest of the immortal legends. That don't have to go sit in the food court for the ceremony. Ken Danico was on a loop. <laughs> Ken Danico kept on coming down the red carpet and doing more and more media each time. Every time he saw a camera pointed his way, he'd stop. Amazing. And we were noticing this. And, and at some point, somebody, I believe, said, Kenny, are you lost? <laughs> Why do you keep going down the red carpet? <laughs> so if, you, if you've if you been watching CBC or CTV or C24 or any of the Canadian stations that I think were set up there, and you see an interview with Ken, Ken Danico, that might have been the fourth or fifth time he came through. But he, he, he found them. He found them all. It was the best. You've got lots of them Hall of Fame weekend, don't you? He's a scholar and, and, a, and a classic. Yeah, I do. Uh, coming up on the show today, we have a uh, Hall of Fame weekend reaction we talked to a bunch of really famous players, including Ken Danico, about who they'd like to see in the Hall of Fame. That's not in right now. That'll be coming up soon. Uh, Tom Wilson's suspension was reduced, so we have a lot to talk about there. And even more fun with uh, legality and lawsuits and arbitrators, the concussion settlement uh, has been issued b- uh, between the NHL and the players that are suing the league. We'll get into that as well. Plus, Sasha's, uh, Sasha got your number. Phil Kesselhoff's hot dogs, and a very special guest on the concussion front, in fact, Bob Costas, sports casting legend, will join us today to talk about that stuff as well. All that and more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, this is ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national, national, national NHL reporter. And Tom Wilson is going to be back for the Washington Capitals by the time you hear this. For his suspension has been reduced, 
to 14 games by the neutral arbitrator. Um, the same uh, neutral arbitrator, by the way, who reduced Austin Watson's uh, suspension last month uh, from 27 to 18 games for that domestic assault thing. And uh, and Tom Wilson has been out for 16 games. He will get a nice little refund rebate uh, from the money he's lost. Very exciting for, for Tom Wilson. And most importantly, he'll be back on the ice with the Capitals uh, after getting the suspension reduced. I, I feel like, Emily, that at some point this was sort of our prediction, was that the NHL was going to throw the book at him as hard as they possibly could and that the arbitrator would be like, you just made up a number. <laughs> and so you look good and try to do it, no doubt about that, but you, you don't, you, you can't do it without any precedent is the issue. Yeah, Doss's um, ruling, it's quite a, a dry document. It's long and uh, there's there's not much juicy stuff in there unlike Gary Bettman's very uh, juicy ruling but mm. uh the one thing that i came away was was the nhl when they did it especially george paris is like look we've got this formula that's perfect it's a three times multiplier we're adding we're subtracting it's totally fine if you don't remember all of this from algebra like i got this like we've got this <laughs> and das is like that's really cool but that's super arbitrary like why do you pick a three times multiplier i'm gonna pick a two times multiplier so that's the reasoning he gave for um for reducing it and also because it's precedent. Um, they brought up specifically there have, yes, we understand that this is a repeat befriender and he's going with a frequency we haven't seen before, mm-hmm. but that's happened before and you haven't come down as hard. Yeah, it's sort of a... a Patrick a, Coletta is the guy that was mentioned. Right. It's sort of a Brothers Grimm twist on this story that uh, the NHL's negligence in handing out larger suspensions years ago... Uh, resulted in, in this large suspension being reduced. They gave 10 games to Patrick Coletta in 2012, I think, or uh, 13, rather. 13 on the Jack Johnson headshot. Right. So he hits Jack Johnson with the head. Jack Johnson, thank goodness, not injured on the play. But twice before, in a, in a, in a pretty recent span uh, back in 2013, he got suspended for injuring players with headshots. So the NHL PA looked at this and said, this is kind of your Tom Wilson comparable here. And the NHL's like, ah, it's different. But the arbitrator's like, it ain't that different. And in fact, when Gary Bettman in that ruling on Coletta's 10-game suspension said, you know, this is, uh, you know, a, a severe punishment and, uh, and it's deservedly so because of the frequency of suspensions. Well, if 10's a severe, a severe punishment, right, then how do you get to 20? For Tom Wilson on, on a play where the NHL clearly uh, has indicated via George Paris's testimony that there was no intent to injure on the play, that it was almost a hockey play gone wrong. So, you know, uh, listen, I, I I understand the process. Um, I, I do tend to side with the NHL on this one in the sense that it is a lot of suspensions for Tom Wilson in a very short period of time. And 20 games would have been a, a, a suitable wake-up call. Maybe 14 still is. Uh, but you gotta be able to show your work. You can't just do what I did in algebra in high school, which is, uh, you know, copy the answers to the odd number questions from the back and then, you know, put a bunch of scribbles down and hope the teacher doesn't notice. You gotta show your work. And, uh, in the NHL's case, they, they certainly could not defend uh, from a definitive precedent-based standpoint the, uh, number they, they pulled out of thin air to give to Tom Wilson. I think one way the NHL did show their work too, especially was in Bettman's ruling when he um, explicitly laid out all the different times they have tried to meet 
with Tom Wilson, especially mm-hmm. George Peros, um, mm-hmm. and tried to correct his behavior, and this came after that. Uh, one of the most interesting things I found in Doss's ruling, though, just one slightly juicy tidbit, was that uh, they said that the NHLPA cited this email that Bill Daly had sent to George <laughs> Peros the night yeah. of the incident. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And in this email, Daly writes, looks like a big one. The emergency assistance fund is going to be happy. Um, and the NHLPA's inference there was that, look, the league wants this to happen. Like, you know, they're, the league is influencing Paris. He's not being independent. Doss, for the record, was not persuaded by this. Uh, but I just think it's interesting because the NHL just has this history of putting things in emails they shouldn't put in emails. Yeah, they really need to stop doing that. We'll talk about that later on in the concussion suit. But, yeah, the NHLPA... Uh, cited uh, George, George Peros's testimony uh, that um, he was at an unrelated meeting at which Gary Bettman said to him something to the effect of, you're going to do the right thing or do the right thing on this ruling on Tom Wilson. So, uh, by the way, George Peros, nice guy, runs a pretty good department. I like the direction the Department of Player Safety has gone on. Don't agree with every decision they make, but at least they're trying. Really needs to brush up on his testimony. Not only does he reveal the you're going to do the right thing or do the right thing from Bettman, but also undercuts the commissioner's ruling on the uh, uh, upholding the suspension um, by saying that it wasn't an intentional uh, hit to the head or an intent to injure on the part of Wilson. Like, that's probably the truth. But come on, you're, you're the foot soldier, man. It's it's not as if you're going to go to jail for perjury here. Like you, you got to get your commissioners back, and the NHLPA was given a gigantic door to walk through on this appeal to the arbitrator by Paro saying that it was there was no intent to injure because then it becomes a very different type of play within the context of the Department of Player Safety's previous rulings, like for example on Rafi Torres. I do. I'm glad you brought up Paros, and I do agree with you that I think this current regime of the P- Department of Player Safety is doing as well as they can. They're trying to be fair. They're trying to be consistent. But it's a really hard hand that you're dealt when precedent is on the line because you're not the one that was ruling into the 2013. George Paros just took over last season, right. so that puts him in a bit of a pickle. Indeed. Um, but bottom line is that even reduced down to uh, 14 games for Tom Wilson, down from 20. He, he does this again. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, at least 30 if he does it again. I mean, you multiply it by two, you add two for an injury, which is, you know, seemingly the formula the NHL Maybe will go with. Maybe you add four for time. an injury. Who knows? What's Maybe the multiplier going to be? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, if the, if the point of the suspension and the point of any suspension usually should be this, is to change behavior, you have to assume that. Wilson knows that he is on the clock, that he is on the radar, that he is one more hit away from potentially losing, a, 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 you know, over a third of a season. So at least the NHL accomplished that. Um, so that's the Tom Wilson stuff. Now let's move on to the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame induction ceremony, all the fanfare, all the good stuff. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've attended a couple of these. You went last year to the Solani one. What did you think of it? That was your first one, right? Last year, I think. It was my first one, and I was thinking back on it. It was some reflective times for Emily Kaplan. Uh, it was, you know, like a month and a half into the hockey season. I'm, I'm kind of figuring out my way, and I was just kind of starstruck by the whole event. Firstly, Solani made it this huge party. It was just one big traveling finish road show of, of partying and, uh, they, I think they tore the town down. Um, <laughs> but it was just fascinating of how, you know, the event, it was, it was such a regal event, right? It, it's all about the upper echelon of hockey. Um, and, and people are taking themselves really seriously. Um, and then I just enjoyed, yeah, going down there in the food court and getting my free pizza and then plastic uh, cup of wine. 
Yeah, line of the night from Nick Kotsnicka, by the way, of NHL.com, a good friend who I used to work with at Yahoo, who said that the uh, the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame should give out blazers to the members of the media who cover multiple Hall of Fame ceremonies with a slice of pizza as the patch instead of the Hall of Fame crest. Because in case you don't know, the the setup for the media room is literally in a food court pizza joint. In a mall. <laughs> like you're, in a mall, yeah. You're sitting uh, at these tables. Uh, uh, and it was funny, too. I was, I was I think I was talking to Clinton Yates uh, from the, uh, the Undefeated, who was there doing some stuff on uh, Willie O'Ree. Um, just the surreal nature of having the Hockey Hall of Fame celebration, not in a temple, not in a church, not anywhere that you'd consider to be a, a, a holy and regal place, but literally in a mall. Like, literally in a mall. Like, you were walking through the food court to get to where the Hall of Fame is. As two people speaking to you from New Jersey, we do appreciate this. Don't get us wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But <laughs> you, yeah. I know, I'm just upset there wasn't a hot topic. You know, I could have <laughs> browsed for some Nightmare Before Christmas stuff before I did the Hall of Fame ceremony. Or Ricky's gifts, or who knows what. Exactly. Uh, my what question you for you, though, was yeah. what was the vibe like? I told you, I felt like last year the storyline was Solane and Korea and their bromance, and that was really beautiful, and it was kind of Paul Korea's um, coming out from being, you know, kind of reclusive for a couple years, mm-hmm. uh, and that was, you know, what dominated the headlines. What was it this year? I, I know that Willie O'Ree seemed to be a headliner just because of how long he had to wait, which was unfortunate, but... There's the whole get Batman cloud that kind of hovered over it. What was that like? Yeah, that was, I think, the overriding storyline of, of the night. You know, um, there's no question that Willie O'Ree was something on the minds of a lot of people. And, I mean, you know, this isn't, I don't think this is necessarily speaking out of turn here, but, you know, the, the makeup of the crowd at the Hockey Hall of Fame last night was different. And that was good. Uh, and it was very much because Willie O'Ree was going into the Hall of Fame. Um, so you had that. You had, uh, obviously, Jana Hefford going in as well. Yakushev going in was very important to a lot of the older Canadian players who remembered him from the Summit Series. But the talk of the night was Bettman, and, and in particular what Bettman was going to say. I, I had a long conversation with somebody from the NHLPA uh, around the red carpet, and in particular, just like, you know, before Bettman spoke, like, what is he going to say about lockouts? That was the big question. What is he going to say about lockouts? Like, you know what he's going to say about the growth of the league and my great staff and family support. And, oh, I don't like booze, but I get booze. But what is he going to say about the fact that he's a commissioner, an acting commissioner, serving commissioner, going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, having presided over three of the most contentious work stoppages that we've seen in professional sports in the last 30 years? And to his credit... He didn't shy away. He didn't forget about it. And he's, he wasn't vague. He literally said that the three work, work stoppages were, you know, regrettable. And, uh, now that's not him saying that, <laughs> you know, the owners aren't at fault, which obviously they are when it comes to lockouts. Um, the NHL disagrees. They believe it's a 50 50 proposition where the players and the owners are at fault, but that's not true. Um, but at least he acknowledged it. And I think a lot of us were wondering if he would just kind of like bury it in the past uh, in order to just kind of like put over the forward progress of the league and his legacy. But he didn't. He mentioned it. He was also really funny, which I think is also... uh, He can be a very funny guy. Um, And his line last night about how his election to the Hall of Fame is, uh, you know, permanent evidence that it's not a popularity contest. It was a line that killed, and it was really funny. So kudos to him. What did you think of Batman? Yeah, um, I, I'm not gonna lie. I chose to watch actual hockey last night and I did not tune in. <laughs> oh, that's 
think that's my boyfriend thing. recently. I'm gonna totally embarrass myself. Do you know until recently how I consumed the NHL games was just via my laptop and my NHL TV account. I did not have a Chromecast that would put it onto my TV until I was See, told that I was living in 2012 and that that yes. should probably change. You can definitely take video from your computer and put it on your TV here, it here in the future. Ten minute home, process to install fly home, thirty five dollars. Fly home in your flying car and have your robot made put the <laughs> NHL game from your laptop onto the TV screen in front of you. Yeah, so I enjoy that. Uh, that's been a, a new process for me that's made me enjoy NHL games a little bit more. Uh, but I thought it was interesting of just what people were talking about on Twitter. And, you know, I was checking Reddit, your tweet um, with that quote from Bettman, I believe, was the top story on Hockey Reddit this morning. Um, oh, cool. Congrats. Congrats oh, on all those upvotes, man. Ah, love it. Big time. Um, um, yeah, no, I, that, that's kind of what I found interesting, most interesting about it. Um, yeah, it's. I, I well, I'll say, I'll say this because I'm sure a lot of people didn't watch it and you're not alone. It's yeah. not exactly appointment viewing for Americans, the Hockey Hall of Fame ceremony. To, you know, I think it's sort of a very, like, all politics or local type thing where if you're a Devils fan, maybe you checked out Marty's speech. Maybe for Lightning fan, you might have checked out M- Marty's speech. Uh, and then maybe you saw the highlights of Bettman. But here, here's my takeaway from last night, even above and beyond the ridiculous marathon that was the commissioner's speech to lead off the show where How the reaction, it? Sh- it was over 23 minutes long. Whew. And the reaction shots of like Rodor and San Luis as they're sitting there being like, when do we, like they're literally rolling their eyes as this guy's talking. And it was beautiful to see. But Willie O'Ree and, and Jana Hefford both made the same point in different ways last night. And, and it was really beautiful for the moment. Willie went into kind of a stump speech for the hockey is for everyone stuff about how it is so important to get young people playing hockey and mm-hmm. young people from other walks of life. And if you see somebody in your hometown that wants to play, but maybe doesn't have the means through which to play, help them out, get them into the game, do what you can to, you know, create a, a pathway for them to get into to hockey, which I thought was a really beautiful sentiment on top of him obviously talking about representation and all the things that came with his history-making moment with the Bruins. Uh, Hafford uh, kind of said the same thing in insofar as representation being important and women being in the Hall of Fame being important and women playing hockey being important and how you know the more diverse uh, the player bases, the more diverse the fan bases, the better it's going to be for the sport. And to the point we're saying, you know, pe- kids are born without biases. And it's on us to ensure that they live life without biases. And that's going to eventually lead to a, a, a bigger, more diverse and robust NHL family and or hockey family. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing. So those were the two things that, that were my takeaways on top of Bettman cracking jokes and, you know, doing what Bettman does. So, anyway, we asked uh, a bunch of Hall of Famers and Ken Danico uh, about what they think about the Hockey Hall of Fame in the sense of which players that aren't in would they like to see get in. So the following voices you're going to hear, it's an interesting menagerie of, of people that I got a chance to talk to. Uh, we are talking about uh, Kenny Danico, uh, formerly of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, we are talking about Angelo Gero, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer and uh, Team USA alumnus. Uh, Mike Gartner, Adam Oates, Larry Robinson, and finally, the great one himself, Wayne Gretzky, revealing who he would put in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Greg, I wish you had gotten slightly bigger names. It's just, <laughs> I, I, I know you told me about this concept, and I was excited for it, and then you emailed me who you got, and I was like, ugh. 
Yeah. Our podcast listeners are going to hate this. Yeah, I'm like, here's Ken Klee, uh, <laughs> Marcus Kruger, and uh, no, it's fine. Here, give it a listen. Ken Danico. Hello, hello. Who would you like to see on the Hall of Fame that's not in right now? And why? Well, I, I'm biased. And obviously, I'm going to go with a teammate of mine, Patrick Eliash, but he's still not eligible, or I think it's coming up, right? Next year. Next year. So there's a guy right there. But you know who else? I, I got to be honest, Jeremy Roenick. Oh, yeah. Tell me why. Uh, I mean, you know, he was a dynamic player. I know he didn't uh, win the elusive Stanley Cup. It's not he's always on a player. Again, I, I, I'm a friend is I personally I like him, but he was hard to play against. He played the game the right way, and statistically he had had some pretty big numbers. So I'm going to give him a little plug, and I think JR is one of those guys that should be in there. And I think he's the guy that you, you remember. It's the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Like fame has something to do with it. I, you know what? I, I I can't disagree with that along the way. I mean, look. Everybody, I, I don't claim to know the criteria or have the criteria, whether it's a certain amount of goals, 500 plus, whether it's a certain amount of assists or a thousand points, whatever it may be, or you have to win the Stanley Cup. I'm sure all of that comes into play, and God bless him because it's not easy. The guys that are on the uh, Hall of Fame committee to, to do this, it's got to be hard. Yeah. But you just asked me a few names, and Patrick's not till next year, and I'm biased because I played him, but uh, probably an underrated player, as underrated players I've seen. And JR, yes, he was dynamic, he was flashy, and he put up numbers. <laughs> so, Angelo Ruggiero, uh, who is uh, not in the Hall of Fame you'd like to see in the Hall of Fame? Um, I would say one of the best early players on the women's side that I personally played with. Um, she only played in two Olympics, but was definitely a force of nature, was uh, Karin Bai. Okay. Uh, young, uh, obviously... Retired after two games, um, but but walked away with the gold and the silver, and, and impacted. I think there are a lot of early, um, like Angela James, players that came along before they had the opportunity to play in multiple Olympics, and um, and uh, and really set this, you know, at a very high level platform like the Olympics. And Karn was one of those players, um, I would say, from uh, from that standpoint. You're in. Jane is in. Haley's probably in next year. Are you... Is she already eligible? Next year. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was this year, but it's not. Yeah, next I think year. It's, you have to be five years. Yeah. Yeah. So are we starting to see a wave? Are we starting to see a wave of maybe more women's players getting in on a, on a much more consistent basis, you think? or I would like to see that. Yeah, I think um, given how many... You're almost playing catch-up in a way with all the legends that came pre-Olympics or were early early on before, you know, Cammy and Angela opened the doors and the hall really opened the doors. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, I think, catch-up. Um, and then once you play catch up and you're sort of up to speed with the modern era, um, I would definitely like to continue to see, you know, a regular occurrence of, of female athletes. And it just sends a real strong message to the sport and to the community of, of and young young kids, young girls especially. You've always been big on representation, whether it's uh, women's hockey, Olympics on, on that side as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, executive committee for the Hall of Fame. Not exactly gender balanced. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 are you someone who's cognizant of that? Uh, would you like to see that change? Yeah, I think um, obviously there were strong advocates to get us in the hall in the first place to yeah. open the doors. Um, and those were men saying it's time 
Um, but, you know, to really understand the game and to understand the players that impacted the game at that level, um, certainly having more women's voices at the table would be helpful. Um, those that lived in the game or, or played some role within the sport um, so that you're not, you know, reading articles to try to determine or just looking at stats, you're really looking at, you yeah. know, talking to the players, similar to what, what I think exists um, on the men's side. So mm-hmm. it's great. I'm obviously... Um, happy that we are where we are today we have six women now mm-hmm. i believe we'll continue to have more women and and yeah to, to make sure we have the right women i think is uh is also important so i have to watch it because i'm on the hall of fame selecting selection oh committee. shoot maybe so, uh maybe so you uh, might be stuck <laughs> you might be happy yeah you, you, have a, a bu- you have a thing a bunch of no there's comments of, yeah. yeah well i mean there's nobody that comes to mind obviously no, no, no pet project or anything of that nature that someone you maybe admired as a child that you like to see in the hall of fame well, I mean, I, there is one person that I'd, I'd like to see in the Hall of Fame, and I, I don't make a secret to anybody, and that's Paul Henderson. I think yeah. Paul is uh, is someone that uh, certainly deserves uh, attention, and and uh, and has been um, uh, has had a lot of attention over the years. And somebody that I, when you think of Canadian hockey, I mean. If Paul Henderson isn't at the top of your uh, your list of who you would think is Canadian icons, I don't know who you who you would kind of put there. And this is Mike Gartner, Canadian child, not Mike Gartner, official capacity. Of course. <laughs> so Adam Oates, who would you like to see in the Hall of Fame that's not in? You have a pet project, fair player, guy you played with, guy you played against. Who would you like to see that's in that's not Ooh, in? Right tough now? question. I tough know. question. Uh, you know, I haven't thought about it. What, uh... What's the room saying? Yeah. we gotten some Ronicks. Gartner said Henderson. Ooh, okay. Yeah, pretty famous Uh, goal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's see here. That's about it so far. (laughs) Uh, JR would be definitely a guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and obviously I'm not on any committees, the criteria. Mm -hmm. Uh, He played a long time, contributed a lot to more than one franchise. He did a lot. He had had some special skills. And, uh, you know, I think when guys do have a special skill, that's something that has to be considered. When you say special skill, goal scoring or... Yeah, goal scoring, scoring, skating. Putting the fame in Hall of Fame. Yeah, putting the fame, for sure. (laughs) Great way to put it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Larry Robinson, Hockey Hall of Fame. Is there anybody not in the Hall of Fame that you wish could be in? Could be somebody you played against... There's always going to be, there's always going to be people that you say should have should have should have been here, um, and I guess that's the ongoing question. There's probably people that are here that people are going to say that should have been. I mean, that's that's kind of what makes the world go round. But um, one guy I know that for sure should be here is Marty. Uh, both Martys, actually. I mean, their records speak for themselves. Absolutely. Uh, the type of players that they are, the type of people that they are. And, uh, of course, I think uh, Willie O'Ree has done a tremendous job. Uh, Gary Bettman, look look where our league is now. I mean, we're into the billions of revenue. Uh, when he first started, I don't even know if we were in the millions yet. So he's done a, done a heck of a job as well. Was there a moment when you were coaching Marty where you kind of knew, okay, this guy's something special? Day one. <laughs> Day one. I mean, I, I had the luxury of playing in front of Patrick Waugh. And, uh, you know, those to me, those are the, probably the two of the best people that ever put on a pair of pads in my era that I know. I mean, I didn't get to play with Plant and those kind of guys. But just the leadership they brought and um, the competition, competitiveness of them and of course, the records speak for themselves. Wayne, is there somebody that's not in the Hall of Fame that you'd like to see in the Hall of Fame? Well, Kevin Lowe should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> I'm biased. And I'm a teammate. And you win six Stanley Cups, and you're an unselfish player. You're part of a dynasty and part of what makes the team great. 
well, when you're kids, it's all about having fun and scoring goals and just enjoying it. And when you're a professional athlete, it's about winning. And championships to me are everything. And Kevin Lowe won six Stanley Cups. He was a, a huge part of that. I don't know if we would have won those Cups without him. And he's the one guy that I think really deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, Greg, those were awesome bites. I loved hearing all of those voices. And before we continue on, we should let our listeners know something. Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. No and way. with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL's team's logo and colors. Oh. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Oh. Only Discover offers a dollar for dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. No caps, no signups. Mm. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time. And they Redeemed never Ramada. expire. With all of that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats to the game, your favorite player's jersey, or, you know, you can maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. It's only for new card members and limitations apply. Indeed. All right. Speaking of money, $22,000. Is that a lot of money? Do you consider that to be a lot of money? I still do. It's a lot of money in some contexts, but not in the context we're talking about. And that is the amount of money that the players that would be involved in the suit and decide to carry forward with the settlement would get um, from. And of course, we're talking about the NHL's concussion settlement. So uh, let's just get into it. Right, Greg? So this settlement comes down, of course, on the day Gary Bettman goes into the Hall of Fame, because of mm. course it did. There are no coincidences in life. Uh, I'm convinced of that. And uh, and so basically the, the, the thing you need to know about the settlement is that... Uh, uh, and it, the NHL players that are uh, in the, the settlement, if they choose to accept it, they could still reject it. They could not be, want to be a party of this uh, settlement and just go off and sue the NHL on their own if they if they wanted to. Uh, the twenty-two thousand uh, dollars, you know, they're going to get to uh, cover various things, legal fees, what have you. Uh, Seventy-five thousand dollar, basically deductible on their uh, medical testing, uh, paid for by the NHL. There's going to be an emergency fund that are going to be set up. For ex-players, uh, for you know emergency needs, and then of course the attorney fees are waived, and that sort of thing. So you know, there, in the grand scheme of things, and in comparison to the NFL, like you said, Emily, it is nowhere close to what the NFL players got. But can I the, pause the, there? Yeah, sure. There's just such two important distinctions that we need to make here. Yeah. One, the NFL was a class action suit. This is not a class action suit. I think that's a very important distinction. And two, what was the big thing in the NHL press release when we got it? The NHL still denying any uh, accountability. Yep. The NFL liability. Ad admitted, and in the NFL suit, there was very specific cases and links and ways that the players said we were lied to, and it encompassed all former NFL players. And the mm -hmm. NHL suit did not include that. It was a bit more vague. Yep. So the two reactions to that are obviously, one, the minute that the NHL players couldn't achieve class action status for this suit, the whole thing was going to fall apart. Um, it, it was headed towards mediation and a settlement from that moment on, because otherwise you're talking about a, a billion different players trying to sue the league in a billion different ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not going to fly. I mean, it's just, you know, the first thing the judge is going to ask is, why isn't this part of a class action suit? Um, the second thing about the ruling is because it's a, a, a much smaller number of players than the NFL had, 
chances are these guys are going to get paid probably a hell of a lot quicker than the NFL guys ever did. Um, and, and, and so when you think about why this, this action came down and why these guys joined the suit, there's a number of different reasons. But one of them is obviously a lot of guys are hurting financially, and they're really hurting from a medical standpoint, and they need help. So the idea that the help could come to these guys a little bit quicker is a good thing, too. Uh, the, the, the liability bit, the admission bit, I'm kind of split on that. On the one hand, like we've talked about a number of times talking about this suit on this podcast, I never thought there was a smoking gun. I never thought that, that, that there was going to be any piece of evidence that came out about the NHL that was going to be as damning as anything that came out about the NFL. And I think the NHL knew it. I think they knew if they had stuck to this, this process, they probably would have won out in the end. But at the same time, I was really hoping that, like what Chris Nowinski told us last week on ESPN.com, that once this legal settlement got got done, then maybe they admit some linkage between concussions and CTE. But if they're not even going to admit liability with these players in this suit, I doubt they're going to go the extra mile and actually start talking about the science now. And that's frustrating. I kept going back to that. I mean, the timing, it wasn't uncanny. We knew this was coming down. But you had that conversation with Nowinski, and he literally said, I think this is going to be the impetus for Gary Bettman to publicly admit it. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, I was talking to some people on the red carpet last night. Oh, the red carpet last night. The red oh, carpet John last Rivers. night. <laughs> the Hockey Hall of Fame. And the sense I got is like people still believe that this is not going to be the total be-all, end-all of litigation against the National Hockey League for concussion stuff. Um, but I also was talking to some guys that have been around this game for a very long time. And, and you know... You know, your heart goes out to the players that were in this settlement, and your heart goes out to any player who played the National Hockey League and is suffering the effects of playing this injurious game. But the two things that you always hear from a lot of these old school guys that aren't a party to this suit, one is that they truly do want there to be some extra work done by the NHLPA and the NHL to help out these guys, to create ways where the league can help financially or even where fans can help financially to support players that gave up their health for their entertainment but the other thing you hear from these old school guys all the time is come on we all knew what we were getting into you and and, and it's cruel and it's 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 unfeeling but it's the truth from these guys that played the game in the, in the 80s and, the, and, and even in the 90s the idea that you knew that you were putting your health in the line in particular guys that fought you knew you're putting your health on the line in order to earn a paycheck, in order to be in the National Hockey League. You knew this, and uh, and it was the bargain that you made with yourself. You know the science wasn't there. You had you know, trainers putting up three fingers and asking if you're okay before they sent you out there. That's true, but at the end of the day, a lot of these old school guys were like, we all knew that this was you know a dangerous game we were playing, and we were doing these things in order to remain in the league. I and I'm mad at myself because I said I wasn't going to compare to this to the NFL settlement one more time, but I'm going to. I I wonder if there's something about the culture of both sports. Um, You see some players like Daniel Carcillo who are having a reckoning right now. They've, um, you know, retired. They started to learn a lot more. They start to think about some things that have happened to some of their friends um, in past life, and they start to wonder these things, right? Was I misled? Was I mistreated? Things like that. In the NFL case, the volume of players who joined into this class action lawsuit um, makes the NHL pale in comparison. The mm-hmm. high-profile players pales in comparison to the guys that were joining in on the NHL side. And I wonder, you know, it's almost like hockey culture. You, you don't, you're grateful, you're deferential, you don't want to stand out. And the last thing point I'll put on this is I wonder, we're entering a one-year way from either side opting out from the current CBA. Mm-hmm. 
is this going to be brought up between both sides of, of something? And I've got a story. It's going to land on Wednesday. So you might be listening to this before it comes out. But I ask some pretty high profile players what's important to them in the next CBA. What's their sticking point? And as you can imagine, escrow and the Olympics are the two things that come up the most. Mm. Anders Lee, the New York Islanders winger, was the only person who brought up this. He said, I want to make sure guys are taken care of, whether it's health care or the future pension or something like that. Down the road, someone has their back, whether it's the PA or the league, just to set guys up for that. Because we play hockey for 10 to 15 years, and that's an incredible career, but there's a lot of life to be lived after that. And I wonder if the PA is going to bring up something like this um, that sets players up in this current CBA because it's not a given for so many guys who played in this league that they're going to be taken care of when they walk out of it. That's true. And the, the, the other part, the other point I'll make to what you just said is we're ignoring the recently enshrined elephant in the room, Gary Bettman. Mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of money to be had for guys that, uh, do alumni things, that do ambassador things, that come out and glad hand at the Winter Classic. And Gary Bettman does not strike me as the type of individual that will, uh, look kindly upon players that sue the league. So for the when you talk about high profile guys not being a part of this suit, I mean it's a it's very much a number of guys that are seeing the financial opportunities for them drying up because they turned heel and went after the NHL financially through the court of law. And I guarantee you that kept people from joining the suit. Without question it kept people from joining the suit. Because you're a prior. Because you're a prior, exactly. And and because Gary Bettman does not forget. And does not forgive. Speaking of suits, today's episode of ESPN on Ice is sponsored by Indochino. Jeez Louise. <laughs> exactly. Captain Transition, they call it. Now, there's a huge variety of fabrics and colors and patterns that make Indochino so stylish. There's no longer an excuse for wearing an ill-fitting suit either, especially when they're available at such great prices. Highest quality, lowest prices. That's the Indochino way. That's why I own an Indochino jacket and I, Indochino, Indochino slacks, uh, because I was able to get it fitted to my awkward body and also design exactly how I wanted it to look with my fabulous pops of circular color inside the jacket. It's the North America's leading, uh, made to measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to match your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Here's how it works. You visit a stylist at their showroom and have them take your measurements or you measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. You choose your fabric. You choose your design customizations. You submit your measurements with your choices and you relax. Kick back. Listen to a podcast while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in a couple of weeks. Uh, now, listen, November is Black Friday season. It ain't just one day. It's a season. Meaning that 2018's lowest price is up to 70% off of everything. What? Uh, is in effect for Indochino. Uh, step out from backstage, make an entrance, take center stage, do the whole thing. Look good this holiday season. So listeners to ESPN on Ice can get Black Friday pricing by using the code ICE, I-C-E, at checkout at Indochino.com. That's 70% off regular price for made-to-measure suits plus shipping is free. Indochino.com, promo code ICE for 70% off. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. An incredible deal for a made-to-measure suit. And Emily, mm-hmm. once you go custom, you don't go rack. <laughs> That's what the th- end of the thing says. Yeah. You know what? That Those <laughs> words are going to stick with me. All right. Before we get to Bob Costas, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. It's Sach Got Your Number. 
Newly minted Hall of Fame inductee Martin Brodeur has 52 wins against this team, the most of any opponent. All right, so Sach gives us a lot of detail on the number this week, Emily, and mm. I think that you and I both used what I'd like to call the honor system to not look up the answer. Did you abide by our honor system agreement? I did abide because what would the fun be if I could just go on Hockey Reference and look this up right now and I was staring right at it? All right. Which I'm not. <laughs> I'm looking at my Twitter feed. I don't know if I trust you on this one. But all right. Honor code in place. Sacha's number. I'm going to say that Marty Brodeur has the most career wins against... Okay, so who was kind of bad through his career? That's what I'm thinking. I'm going to... But also in his division. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go... I'm going to go with the Islanders. That was my... Ah! You could say the Islanders too. Devil or nothing. You know what? I'm going to go Rangers. Maybe. All right. They, I mean, they, they weren't exactly good for a long portion of Marty's career. This is very true. All, All right. right. Pick Rangers. Let's, let's hear it. Marty has tormented the New York Islanders the yes. most of any rival, notching 52 yes. of his record yes. 691 wins against them. Ah, uh, you see, Emily, the thing you didn't take into account is the fact that when he played the Rangers, he couldn't see the puck because Sean Avery was waving his stick in front of his eyes at all times. That happened in the last 18th of his career. The thing all right, you didn't now, take into account was that I should guess first next time. This is very true. I I, I, I jumped into the fray. It is, of, no, of course, a, it is no, no, it is, a, it is a world in which it's ladies first, Emily, and I was a very crude person not a gentleman on our podcast uh, the world i live in is that we alternate first each week so next week i get first and you get first the week after that all right fair enough <laughs> bob costas is uh you know someone who you obviously know from his decades of work on nbc sports also hbo uh a, a guy who has has put his finger into uh, many a sport uh and dipped his toe football and baseball and hockey um He's part of a really interesting thing that the Concussion Legacy Foundation, the aforementioned Chris Nowinski Foundation, uh, is doing. It's called the Concussion Reporting Workshop. It's a three-hour concussion reporting course that will educate journalism students on how to cover brain injuries. Uh, it's being piloted at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. Uh, it's going to be at Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications. It's coming soon to Boston University. I understand there's also been some discussions with the University of Maryland as well. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be pretty good. I, I wish something like that existed for me. It's a way to try to educate journalism students and also working journalists on how to better cover concussions uh, and having the, the newest and best information about them. That's only part of our conversation. We talk about hockey. We talk about sports. We talk about the media and how it's changed over the years. A good conversation with a great sportscaster. Here's Bob Costas. You mentioned before that your feelings on sports and injuries changed many moons ago. Yes. Was there a certain incident or a moment where that happened, or was it just cumulative? For me, in the early 90s, being around the NFL, and sometimes when I was out of the studio and out of the broadcast booth and standing on the sideline during games, mm -hmm. That's when you really experience the sounds and and the the feel of the impact of even routine plays, even routine plays, and plays that are perfectly legal even now that new protocols and new rules are in place. Plays that are perfectly legal are also, in their own way, potentially lethal. Right. 
uh, they're, they're not that much different in terms of their potential impact on one's health than plays that would draw a flag. And around that time, I also began, as much as I recognized the drama and the theater and the shared experience around an NFL game, and as much as I liked and respected a lot of the coaches and players that I had known through the years, there was just something about the emphasis on violence and many fans not just tolerance of it but reveling in it that was off-putting to me and it wasn't that I felt entirely negatively about it I just felt as if look if you're not as into this as many of the people watching it then you're not the right person to be presenting it right and so I, without fanfare, I just stepped aside from it in 1993. And as I said earlier, I was willing to return for HBO's Inside the NFL because their entire approach was different. Not not that it didn't celebrate exciting football plays, it did. But every show had some kind of commentary or some kind of interview or some kind of feature that could be said to be journalistic. And that, to me, justified my presence there. And I could say whatever I wanted. I wasn't just shuttling from one highlight to another. I could ask any question I wanted. I could raise any eyebrow any time I wanted. And then in the early stages of when football returned to NBC, I didn't have to do highlights. My job was I was at the, at the games and helped to bring it on the air. Um, and then I did these little halftime essays, mm-hmm. which mostly were not about controversial subjects, but sometimes were. And the freedom to address that was enough for me to rationalize my involvement. And then when those opportunities um, were dramatically reduced or eliminated, that's that's when I knew that I could I could no longer rationalize. Right. Uh, my involvement with the NFL. When you were having this awakening in the 90s, did you feel like you were on, a, on an island? I mean, I feel like the sports media has caught up with concussions in a lot of ways, but I mean, back then, to be the guy saying, let's not buy the Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em tape, was yeah. kind of a, a, I mean, that, 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 that's, you're in the minority then. I guess. I, you know, I didn't really make much of an issue about it. I, <laughs> I do recall on the air in a few places where people asked me why I was stepping aside from football, uh, saying that violence was part of the reason and the celebration of violence was part of the reason. But I didn't make it a crusade. My tone and implication was, uh, this is just me. I speak for myself. You know? Maybe maybe you want the swordfish and the, someone else wants the steak. It just, this, just isn't, this just isn't for me. Yeah. Um, but then as as the information began to emerge about the undeniable linkage between football, not only football, but football kind of at the forefront uh, and, and brain trauma, then I felt it was like just part of my responsibility to acknowledge the elephant in the room. It's not a trivial fact. It's not a minor bit of information. It's a front and center reality of the game. And I didn't think it was appropriate to intrude upon the game. It's not Al Michaels' job to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not Jim Nance's job to do that. Um, I don't know how other hosts saw their job 
But I always saw that as part of my job. Right. I saw it as part of my job on the Olympics to point out, um, not in a lengthy seminar, but in some concise fashion, point out some of the political realities that are always part of every Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I way back when I I didn't stop liking baseball. But I recognized that there was a steroid problem. Right. And to talk about that was part of covering baseball. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean you were telling people not to like baseball or turn off the game. Right. I didn't, I wasn't turning off the game. I still liked it. Right. But I was just trying to recognize and shine a light on uh, a significant reality. Um, so that's, that's just how I see my job. Others are not required to see it the same way. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own sensibility and makes their own choices. That's Those are the choices that I've made. You mentioned linkage. You're a hockey guy. I'm a hockey guy. Uh, we have a commissioner in Gary Bettman who steadfastly refuses to make a linkage between what happens on the ice with contact sports and CTE in particular. When you have a league like that, and other leagues, I mean, the NFL for in, in particular has come a little bit farther down the field on, right. on linkage. When you have the, the head of the league saying that the, the science isn't there, I don't believe this is happening, and yet you have the Concussion Legacy Foundation and others saying, no, 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 this is definitely happening, how do we cope with that as a hockey fan? I think there's enough information out there for reasonable people to draw their own conclusions. And I don't think that conclusion has to be, I don't like hockey anymore, or I'm ashamed to admit I like hockey. There's a a zillion good reasons to like hockey Uh, and to be drawn in to the game and the beauty of the game and the excitement of a a playoff game and a game that goes overtime in the playoffs and the the Stanley Cup playoffs is one of the most exciting things in all the sports. Uh, But while it may not exactly parallel football, there is contact of the sort that is often linked with long-range cognitive difficulties. Mm -hmm. There is contact of that sort in hockey, and there is still fighting in hockey. Mm -hmm. They may have reduced it, but they haven't eliminated it. And we already know that disproportionately those who were known as enforcers uh, during their playing days, they have disproportionately been among those who have reported CTE-like symptoms post-playing career. So those, those are facts. Those are not anti-hockey opinions. Those are facts. Right. Um, and reasonable people should acknowledge them. You still, uh, you still follow the league? Or yeah, I mean... I- I don't do the games, so right. I, I, you know, Mike Emmerich is the best at doing the games. Yeah. I watch the games, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not around it on a regular basis now. Yeah, it seems like it's more your, your more palatable. I mean, like you said, fighting has decreased for the last decade. Yes, uh, it's faster, younger. It, it would seem like that's it's more wide type. open. Yeah, that's the type of hockey that, as American hockey fans, we're like, all right, if they played this for 20 years. Instead of the trap, maybe there'd be more fans. Well, I think all sports have come to the conclusion uh, that fans like a more wide-open, freewheeling, high-scoring game. Right. Uh, football changed its rules so that there weren't as many 10-7 to 7 and 16-13 to 13 games. Letting receivers run their routes. Right, letting receivers run their routes. Um, it wasn't too long ago 
uh, the early 2000s where you were seeing NBA playoff games with final scores of 74 to 69. Yeah. You know, now it's very common for both teams to be in triple digits mm-hmm. at game's end. Uh, and fans find that more entertaining. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it could be a happy byproduct of a more entertaining form of hockey to the modern fan, that that would also be a form of hockey that involved less intentional and unintentional head contact. Right. Now, obviously, there there are rules against charging and, and high-sticking and whatnot, and you, you, you can't just blatantly target somebody anymore. Uh, so... Why is that a rule? It, it, it's it's a rule because of the possibility of injury. Right. So so to draw the to separate that from the possibility that there could be long term effects doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Right. Are you incur- you're, you're here talking about this this uh, media project with the Concussion Legacy Foundation and educational component? Are you? happy where we are right now it does seem like we're getting we've gotten away from rock'em sock'em we've gotten away from you got jacked up it doesn't seem like there's as much of it or if there is like you said it's counterbalanced by reporting on real issues yeah are are, are you pretty pleased in 2018 where we are as a sports media on concussions yeah i I think we've come a long way yeah i i think in the space of a decade really um some people may have been more aware and more concerned prior to that but over the last decade i think there's been a significant increase in public awareness mm-hmm. about it. And it's most important at the youth level. What are you going to let your kids do? At what age are you going to let them do it? And what questions are you going to ask coaches and administrators about safety and uh, teaching of playing techniques uh, that isn't just like, hey, little Johnny, Go out and play football, or go out and play soccer, or go out and play hockey or baseball. Right. You want to know how these games are being coached, how they're taught, and you want to know what the information is, the reliable information about risk-reward and about when you start. I mean, there's pretty undeniable uh, science already that if you start playing football at the peewee level, that the chance that you will develop CTE is greater than if you start playing when you're 15 or 16. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and that that's a panacea. But if you start playing when you're 9, 10, 11 years old, it's not just because mathematically you will have um, absorbed more hits because you started playing younger. But the younger the brain is, the more susceptible it is to injury. Right. The irony is that the brain is not fully developed, according to scientific consensus, until someone is about 25. Well, that's a good portion of the prime of an athlete's career in some sports. If you talk about a guy who has a five-year career in the NFL and he retires at the age of 27... And that's about an average career. It's probably longer than the Depending average Depending on position, career. yeah. Yeah, okay. So he's he has played 90% of the football he's played before his brain is fully developed. Right. 
Yeah. So that ought to give people pause. Doesn't doesn't mean that doesn't mean they shouldn't play football or let their kids play football. Does mean they ought to know what's involved. Yeah. Finally, talk about a lot of heavy things here. What what gives Bob Costas joy in sports right now? What what is the thing in sports that? Makes you smile, makes you happy. I like I like walking into a baseball park. Yeah, I like walking into Wrigley Field or Fenway or Camden Yards or AT and T Park. I like a well played game. Uh, I, st- I still follow the NBA very closely. Mm-hmm. I don't follow hockey so closely that I can give you all of the Blackhawks lines <laughs> and you know tell you every every defenseman who plays for the Bruins. But especially in the playoffs, uh, I love watching it. It's the best tournament. Yeah, I think it's for my. I mean, I'm a partisan, but I think for my money, the best professional sports tournament is the Stanley Cup playoffs. I, I think you can make a case for that. Yeah. Um, I don't follow college basketball as closely as I used to, but I follow March Madness because there's clarity yeah. to it. Right. You know uh, that that one and out aspect. Uh, to it. Um, and I also, and this is just a, a, a quirk of mine, I like listening to the broadcasters. Yeah. You know, depending on who's broadcasting the game, I'm more or less likely to watch it. Right. Yeah, I mentioned Doc Emmerich. Yeah, Doc Emmerich's fantastic. Yeah. He's fantastic. It, it's an achievement to just crisply keep up with the action, the fast-moving action of a hockey game. But to do it with such a command of language and a variety of phrasing the way he does, peppered with insights and somehow the ability to work anecdotes into a free-flowing game. It's not like baseball or football even where you have a certain amount of time between plays. He manages to get anecdotal material and little asides and insights in while still calling a fast-moving game. It's quite an achievement. You get the 15 seconds between face-offs and things of that nature. He's yeah, he's, more, he's a radio guy on TV. Right. I think is the best way to describe it. Right, that's what he does. So. Our thanks to Bob Costas for coming on, Greg. That was a really illuminating conversation. Cool. What I also find illuminating is the way things work these days. As I mentioned, I now have a Chromecast. What a world. These days, you can get practically anything on demand, like our podcast, and you can listen to it wherever you want, whenever it's convenient for you. But did you know that you can also get postage on demand? Greg, did you know that? I mean, and now I do. I think I'm going to learn about a lot more about it in the next minute and a half. Yeah, because all you need is stamps.com. It's that time of year again. The calendar is in November. Thanksgiving is early this year. You got to start thinking about this. With stamps.com, you can access all of the services of the post office right from your desk or your bedroom or your bathroom or wherever you do your business. I don't know. You can buy and print real U.S. postage from any letter or any package, and it's all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click it, and you print it, and you mail it, and you're all done. You can move on. Mm. Stamps.com even sends you a digital scale where you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of package postage, postage for your package. That's a good tongue twister if you want to waste time. If you don't want to waste time, you do this. So stamps.com is fabulous. Um, I've uh, now used it, and I plan on using it this holiday season. I'm sure Greg will, too, because he's just smiling as I look at him and FaceTime as I do this ad read because he knows he loves this product. I do That's love the only reason he's smiling. Com. Oh, God, yeah. You that's stamps.com. <laughs> and you know what? Right now you can use ICE for this special offer. That's us, ICE. It's a four-week trial, and it includes the postage and the digital scale that I told you all about. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. 
You click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and you type in ICE. That's I-C-E as in ICE. Mm -hmm. Stamps.com, enter ICE. ICE. As in ICE, comma, ESPN on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. So, Tuka Rask took a leave of absence from the Boston Bruins. He came back uh, today as we do the podcast and uh, addressed his absence in a very classy and and as candid as he's going to get way, um, dropping a reference to sort of like the future of his family at one point. So, we're talking about some pretty important personal stuff. Also... Stuff that's none of our business. He is a man with a job. He left the job for a few days to take care of some personal stuff. He was come back to the job. He actually has an understudy called a backup goalie. The backup goalie plays when the starting goalie isn't there to do his job. And he's actually pretty good. Yeah. Yaroslav Halak's really good. One might say that Tukarest not being there, beneficial to the Bruins. So anyways, he comes back and in his absence, the Boston Globe wrote a story about Tuka Rask needing some personal time. The story itself was actually okay. It was sort of just a chronicle of, of the things that we had seen and heard about Rask's situation. Uh, although in the URL for the story, the word rumors appeared, which is kind of scarless. But the headline on the story was, What we know about Tuka Rask's leave of absence from the Bruins. And then the subhead on the story was, The team's initial one-sentence statement did little to alleviate rumors and speculation about the goaltender's whereabouts, to which I say, who cares? These are human beings. They're allowed to leave the team for any number of reasons. It is November. I could see maybe you get a little bit more interested in where Tukarask is and what he's doing in June if the Bruins are so blessed to continue to be playing in June. But it is November, and he has gone for only a scant couple of days. This is, I, I it, it makes me mental to see this kind of coverage of it. This is like tabloidy Daily Mail covering a, a soccer star kind of coverage. Uh, when the story itself was fine, but the headline is sensationalist, that is your Phil Kessel of Hot Dogs of the Week understand it natural curiosity he had his boss's blessing let's move on exactly now it's time for puck headlines dateline world cup of hockey as we reported on friday the nhl is looking at multiple cities for the world cup in 2020 it's also emily going to kill off our sweet beautiful team north america and somewhat less sweet but awfully beautiful team europe replacing them most likely with two member nations probably slovakia and switzerland but we don't yeah. have that official yet. So the that's why says, I rushed to do the quick oral histories of Team North America. Yeah, it's glad. I'm glad everybody did. Now, the league says it's game on if there's labor peace. So we could have a World Cup in 2020. Uh, the NHLPA, though, says, what? I'm sorry, why does one thing have to do with the other? I mean, this is an exhibition tournament. We can go ahead and play it and all make some money, even if the regular season's on hold because of CBA negotiations. Uh, what do you, you think we're going to play a World Cup in 2020? I hope so. And I also hope the NHLPA says, look, this is not mutually exclusive to the Olympics. We can play more than one international tournament, guys. 
I understand this is the one that you endorse and this is the federation that plays ball with you and gives you uh, the things that you like. But uh, it's very important for our guys to keep going out there, these international stages. And uh, it's important that our guys to do that. So, yeah, I've got a feeling they're going to do it. I don't know. I'm feeling so cautiously optimistic about labor peace. I'm just such a rookie. I, I don't know any better. And I'll also point out that my my secret theory on Team North America being killed off, although Bill Daly denied it, is if they don't allow the young American players that would be of age to play on Team North America on Team USA, Team USA is going to get rolled again in the World Cup. Like, you got to have Austin Matthews and all these guys, Eichel and Jack Hughes and so on and so forth. you got to have those guys on that team, and and they wouldn't be on that team. Uh, So... I think part of this is also like looking at the tournament, knowing that you might put it in an American city, probably have it maybe on this very network, and uh, and maybe not have Team USA be a joke, embarrassment, tire fire, dumpster, garbage, nonsense team like they were in the last World Cup. Dateline, Pittsburgh. What the heck happened to Matt Murray? Matt Murray is 4-4-1 this season with a 3.87 goals against average and an 8.86 save percentage. And one shutout and nine starts. He's 0-3 and 1 in his past four starts. Has allowed at least four goals in each of his last five starts at home. Not, I really thought when we talked about like previewing the Penguins earlier this year that it was going to be the Matt Murray redemption tour, but it seems more like the Matt Murray growing concern tour for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, good thing you can ask uh, an expert here because guess who had their Vesna pick as Matt Murray? <laughs> this girl. <laughs> So let me clear my throat and go on. Uh, look, last year there was clearly many factors going into uh, Matt Murray's slide. He was injured. He missed some time. He had a concussion. He also dealt through a lot of personal tragedy, which Pittsburgh fans um, were fortunate enough to get a window into, although they did not deserve, they were not entitled to that. Uh, Matt Murray's father died, and he was very close to him, and I think that definitely uh, affected his season. Uh, look, this year... He began the season with another concussion. I just want to put that out there. Like, we're wondering, what's wrong with him? He doesn't look, he looks fine. He's healthy. We don't know how that's affecting him. I don't know if it's affecting him or not, but I'm just saying it's there. Um, it's early in the year. There's still time to redeem itself. There's still time for him to surpass Halak as the Vezina favorite. I will hold my breath. Uh, but it is troubling. But I will say this. What I know about the Penguins is, it, at least in, through the end of the season, this is their starting goaltender. They still have firm belief in him that he's the guy hey don't creep on this this the uh burgeoning candidacy of scott darling for the Vezina as well uh dateline chicago i yield the floor to chicago's own emily kaplan what do we make of the first week of the jeremy calton era for the chicago blackhawks we don't know what to make of it <laughs> we really don't uh I, when i see the lineup that he put out there uh, especially the lines that he chose for monday night's game against the carolina hurricanes i slacked our editor tim cavanaugh did alex debrinkett will never score a goal with those line mates of course alex debrinkett did score a goal but the uh, blackhawks did not win um i think he's still trying to feel out his lineup i i totally understand where the management side came from where they felt like they need to move on from q i'm not saying i agree with it i understand their rationale I think the rationale for promoting Colleton so quickly might have been a bit flawed. This is a guy who has not been coaching professional hockey for very long. I think he's still getting his feet wet. I think it's going to be a transition. So I have a firm belief that the players are going to buy in as hard as they can because they are professionals and that's what they do. But it's definitely going to be a feeling out process that might not lead to the playoffs as John McDonough believes they're still a playoff team. I'm still trying to figure out who he looks like. I got a little toe for grace from him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of sort of like an Ed Nortonish thing, maybe kind of going Norton. on. With I think them. the shape of the face. Yeah, and but I can't quite. I, I haven't quite. It's not the same John Cooper, Michael Keaton proxy that we've gotten uh, with him. Uh, I, I, I'm still. Tr- I'm still out on Jeremy Colton as far as who he looks like. Dateline Tilted Towers. It's Alex Ovechkin's turn to opine on Fortnite, as he told Isabella Kasherian from the Washington Post, a once and future guest of this very podcast. Quote, if somebody is going to tell you don't play video games on the road or at home, I'm not going to listen to it, Ovechkin said. I think it's people's choice, right? If you watch a movie, you watch a movie. If you play video games, you play video games. I play games on my phone as well. For me, if I play on the road, I play a couple of games. I'm not going to play all night long. I'm not at that age. But sometimes there's nothing to do at home and on the road especially. Okay, you want to go to a restaurant and you stay at the hotel. Okay, you watch TV. Watch one movie and then what? So... A video game, you can chat with your friends from all over the place. So there you this go. This is the longest Ovechkin quote I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Amazing. And you know what? Look, I would expect nothing less from one of the NHL's greatest social butterflies than Alex Ovechkin getting on a soapbox and being like, you know what? You watch a movie, guess what you don't do? Talk to your friends. You know what you can do while you're playing Fortnite? Talk to your friends. That's why it's the best. Good for Good for Ovi. I just have to say, the NHL and Fortnite is the gift that keeps on giving. And I tried explaining. I was at a wedding this weekend in Florida. I was in a conversation with someone about how Fortnite is the most taboo topic in the NHL. And I'm halfway through my argument, and I just couldn't believe that I was actually these words were spewing out of my mouth. It still boggles my mind how this is still a thing. But uh, it is, and God bless Izzy Kershudian for moving on. That's right. Tracking down the, the hard news on the cap. This is what happens when the Caps win the Cup. Now you're writing about video games. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, Finally, Dateline, speaking of breaking news, Detective Pikachu. So the new movie trailer came out for Detective Pikachu. It looks like a sort of a Who Frame Roger Rabbit mix of animation and live action. Uh, Pikachu is voiced by Ryan Reynolds, so picture Pikachu, but it sounds like Deadpool. But there's a raging controversy, Emily. It appears as though this film has decided that Pokemon are furry. In particular, Jigglypuff is furry, which has caused an outrageous backlash from Pokemon fans that say, no, these creatures do not have all the fur. In fact, my dear wife Ruby this morning said, how can Pikachu be furry when he goes all electricity when he singe his own fur? To which I said, well, obviously the fur is made of some sort of conductive substance. Duh. Duh. But uh, your thoughts on any of this nonsense? Um... Furless animals are kind of creepy looking, so if you're going to make a movie, wouldn't you want something cute? That's an excellent point. Like, if, if they all looked like tiny baby shrews, who would go see it? Probably nobody. Your thoughts on there being a Toy Story 4, by the way? Is it one Toy Story too many for you? or you have I was trying back? to wrap my head around whether or not I'd seen Toy Story 3, and I knew it existed. Yeah, it was the one at the end, spoiler, at the end where they're all being sent into the furnace, and they're all saved at the last what? moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, you need to go see Toy Story 3 before you even entertain the, the idea of seeing Toy Story Ooh. 4. Yeah, oh, it gets heavy. Dude, these movies, the Pixar films are all great for the most part. Wait, we were for Disney. They're all great. Um, but the Toy Story ones, the Toy Story ones are harrowing. Yeah. Like, you know, the, 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 there's so much emo- and the last one was way too emotional, maybe even for me to handle. So I don't even know what they're going to do with this one. You know. God. I'm happy they're making it, though. It's always a good time. 
sell more stuff, pay us more money. Dateline Los Angeles. All of the professional sports teams in Los Angeles in some way, shape, or form participated in saying enough, uh, including Los Angeles Kings, uh, who along with the Minnesota Wild made a statement during last Thursday night's game at Staples Center by wearing helmet decals and holding up signs that said enough in reaction to the shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks, California uh, the previous night. Uh, all the other teams in L.A. got involved. The uh, Clippers got involved. The Ducks got involved. The Lakers got involved. Um, all kind of participating with uh, whether holding up signs or wearing shirts instead enough in trying to encourage uh, more people to look at this incident and uh, figure out ways we can stop this gun violence going forward. Really inspiring stuff from all the L.A. teams in the face of this horrible tragedy. Yeah, I think uh, usually the typical protocol for an event like this is you had a helmet decal, you have a moment of silence, and you move on. And um, for them all holding up those signs in the darkness, it was a very jarring visual. And uh, I, I do think that it did stick with people more so than the typical kind of protocol for these type of things. Indeed. Rant line. Let's listen to it. Hey, Greg, and hey, Emily. My name's James from Detroit. Um, so, uh, I guess just a couple things that are just eating at the very core of my soul. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out which age I uh, found out that um, when you're called for embellishment, uh, the other guy still gets called for uh, tripping or slashing or cross-checking. And, but then they call the other guy for, for embellishment. So, like, I, I, I really don't know what sort of genius uh, outcome the NHL is really expecting from this constant, ridiculous, like, both sides of the law defecation of a play that's happening. Like, if you deem a play is diving or embellishment, and then you're telling the other guy, well, you shouldn't have put him in that position, uh, what even is supposed to happen there what as a hockey fan what am i supposed to even take away from that situation that what the goal is to just have everything even out like oh yeah well he, he's going to the box because you know he tried to take advantage of the situation but this other guy he wasn't so careful and he gave that guy the incentive to do it and as i say that out loud it makes even uh less sense so that that part really destroys uh, my sleep all right so on embellishment I don't know where you stand on it, Emily, but I am someone who believes that if you call a dive, it negates the initial call. Now, I've heard the counter-argument that it's like, oh, well, it doesn't mean that there's still not a penalty initially on the play. But to me, if you really want to decrease the number of dives and embellishments in the league, then you take the other call off the ledger and just penalize the person who embellished. Ooh, so it negates it. Yeah. Shame on you. What do you think? Yeah, I love it. I think it's going to go over great, and it's going to be so seamless, and no one's ever going to fight about whether something's embellishment or not. <laughs> but I will also say this. I will also say this. I am I am someone who will not look down my nose at embellishment. I believe that it is a tactic. I believe it is a part of the game. Yes. And I respect those who are able to do it well without looking like a Ryan Kessler-shaped tumbleweed out there and getting caught all the time trying to embellish. I, uh, I'm so into your theory. I love this new rule change. There it is. Amendment passed. Stop losing sleep, uh, Jamie. <laughs> all right. That's ESPN and Ice for this week. Our thanks to Bob Costas for joining us. Our thanks to all those famers and uh, all those Hall of Famers and Candanico for joining us. And uh, you could find my stuff at Wyshynski on Twitter, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I, and on ESPN.com. 
You can find my stuff at Emily M. Kaplan and on uh, ESPN.com. And I can't believe that you didn't have a nickname uh, retort for Danico after he just called you Puck Dude. Dano. Um, and yeah, go to iTunes, leave us uh, reviews, leave us uh, feedback. Uh, let us know how we can make the show better for you or if it's perfect or if you hate it. Eh, whatever you think. You can just leave it there on iTunes. Uh, all the reviews and ratings help people find the show better. Uh, that's it for this week. We will talk to you soon. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.